Good evening. Welcome to our dinner party. We're your hosts, Bree and Leah, and we're so excited to have you for dinner. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the 10th anniversary of one of the best shows in the history of television, NBC's Hannibal. Each week, we'll recap one episode from season one, so we encourage you to revisit the show along with us. If you notice that any of our guests disappear from one week to the next, it would be quite impolite to ask any questions. And we must warn you, nothing here is vegetarian. Sorry, Brie. <laughs> no, I was... It, it makes me think every time. It's like, why do I enjoy this show so much as a vegetarian? But then I'm like, <laughs> you know, he's not hurting animals. <laughs> also, you know you would never be, like, accidentally fed human meat by him. Like, you're safe by virtue of your, your diet. Unless he's putting it in other things, you know. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. He's a freak. It wouldn't surprise me if he, like, grinds it up into, like, bread and shit. <laughs> Meat flour? Like, lung bread? <laughs> Grind your bones to make my bread. I'm saying. <laughs> Never know. So this week we are discussing Season 1, Episode 7, entitled Sorbet. Finally, an episode I can pronounce. I know! <laughs> Entree sorbet, we're on a roll. We're like, yeah, these are these are words we've we've uh, anglicized and I know incorporated into our language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this episode originally aired on May 9th, two thousand thirteen. So, this one starts off. Um, we're we're still on the Ripper. That's still the main focus. Because if you can remember, um, the last episode had. The development of finding Miriam Lass's arm, which is the last known victim of the Ripper. And we are focused on that. Will had just told Jack that he was kind of thinking about pulling back and not helping anymore. And Jack clearly is not letting that happen. Um, because as Will is telling his classroom about this development with the Chesapeake Ripper, who's in the doorway watching, being a little creeper? Jack. <laughs> Jack. So this episode begins with Will lecturing, um, as a couple of the other episodes have begun. And he's describing the Ripper. He's describing the Ripper's MO. It works as a little Ripper recap, uh, which we appreciate as recappers ourselves. Uh, but we do get some new information. Uh, Will is telling his class that the Ripper likes to kill in, he calls them sounders of three. And he explains that he's using this term sounder because it's a word that re uh, refers to a small group of pigs. And Will says that's how the Ripper sees his victims. Um, not as humans, not as prey. They're, they're just pigs. Mm -hmm. To be slaughtered. Mm -hmm. So Will has, in his usual fashion, adds a few little insights about, you know, the Ripper's psychology or how he, he understands the Ripper's uh, process and thought patterns. And so Will ends this lecture by saying, true to his pattern, the Chesapeake Ripper has remained consistently theatrical. You see the image of Miriam Lass's arm holding, clutching the cell phone, her severed arm. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this before in earlier episodes, but I think this particular thread gets really brought to the forefront in this episode. Would you agree with that? Yeah, especially because we're the audience is putting together um, the other Ripper victims that the FBI doesn't necessarily equate to the Ripper, i.e. the first victim of 
um, the copycat killer from the very first episode, who is like on, like mounted on the deer antlers and put on show like field kabuki. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we're like, okay, yes, it's clearly a thing for him to be theatrical. And we know it's Hannibal, so that makes a lot of sense because what a drama queen. Yes. <laughs> so after Will says this, that the Chesapeake Ripper has remained consistently theatrical, we get this wonderful cut. I feel like the transitions in this episode are top tier. I mean, yes, they're always good. But they're particularly on fire. In this yes, they are, they are. And so we cut to uh, this shot that's actually pretty uh, well-remembered from this show, if you're a fan of this show. Um I would say it's famous, except that, like, just famous among fanables, I guess. So <laughs> there is a, it can only really be described as, like, a throat shot. Like, it starts, it's like a, um, like a medical looks, scope view. Yeah, shot of, like, the back of someone's throat. You can see their vocal cords. And, Vibrating. And you, hear, yeah. mm-hmm, you hear an opera singer in the background, and so it becomes clear that you're, like, down the opera singer's throat. And um, the the camera, the scope camera kind of comes out and you go up through the throat and out through the mouth and you see the tongue. And then finally the camera zooms out enough that you can see the outside of her mouth. You see her lips sticked or you see her painted lips and, and then it, her whole face and then her whole body and she's performing on stage. Um, and, and it's it, so gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so over the top. It's a perfect segue after talking about how consistently theatrical the ripper is and especially because as soon as we pull out and um the camera pulls out and we see the entire opera singer in her fancy gold dress singing it immediately pans to hannibal like crying (laughs) in just awe of the performance Mm -hmm. yes we see hannibal in the audience he's really appreciating this music we get another really cool shot we get it's another sort of transition. We get this close up on Hannibal's ear and it gets closer and closer and it starts to turn kind of counterclockwise, I believe, until finally the kind of darkness of Hannibal's ear hole, ear canal takes over the whole frame. Um, it's like this, this transition. Mm-hmm. Um, Take that PowerPoint. <laughs> I wish that were like a standard option for a PowerPoint transition, like Hannibal ear close. <laughs> Just parse zoom into ear canal. <laughs> Screw windscriper. <laughs> or what is it? Windscreen motion. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Hannibal is like really enjoying this. You can tell he's like very into it. Yes. And then we see, of course... Or like across the aisle on the other side, who's who's sitting there being a creep, not watching the show but watching Hannibal. It's Franklin, and you may remember Franklin from I believe he's in the first episode. He's in the very first episode. He's the first patient that we see Hannibal with in his office. He's the the one who gets the famous line that Hannibal Hannibal delivers about you'll know when the lion's in the room with you. <laughs> Which clearly he doesn't because he's like, oh my gosh, I, or he's just like, I love lions, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So Franklin is also there. He spies Hannibal. Um, Hannibal seems, at that point, I'm not sure if he's aware of Franklin there. Um, But Franklin is certainly aware of Hannibal. 
I think he is because we see him kind of like stiffen up and kind of turn his head just a little bit. We don't see Hannibal actually making eye contact or looking at Franklin, but we also later on when they're talking Hannibal or when they're talking about this encounter in therapy later on, Franklin's like, I know you noticed me, but you tried not to, to, you didn't like pay attention to me trying to get your attention. And before that, the only time we see them together at the opera is like when he like directly walks up to Hannibal. So I'm guessing he meant that point, you know, if that makes sense. So totally. Yeah. I think you're right. I think he was definitely aware. He was just trying to be like, I don't fastidiously ignoring. I don't (laughs) see him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Blinders on. I mean, same if I had Franklin trying to follow me around. As this episode goes on, like Franklin straight up admits to stalking. So that's where this is coming from. If you've ever felt very like pathetic or just like desperate, please watch this show. Just watch this episode in particular and you'll feel so much better about yourself. <laughs> you'll be like, at least I'm not Franklin at level of I'm pathetic and desperate. At least I'm never that bad, you know? <laughs> I've never said... I've never said the phrase, cheese is my passion, as the, like, flirtatious line. <laughs> how on earth would that be? Like, who are you? I don't get it. I don't get it. But all, all it does is remind me of that that part of She's the Man where Amanda Bynes is like, talk about cheese. <laughs> so maybe that's where he's Franklin getting. Franklin took it to heart. <laughs> yeah. He was like, Amanda Bynes said it worked. And she got with... Uh, Channing Tatum, so it must be effective. I'm gonna bring up Gouda. <laughs> so after this opera performance, uh, an older lady, she's played by Ellen Green, who you might recognize from Pushing Daisies if you are a Brian Fuller fan. And uh, she comes up to Hannibal and asks him like why he hasn't been having dinner parties lately. And, you know, she's kind of cajoling him, you know, like, your parties were so great. Why don't you do it anymore? Um, what does she say? She says, it's been too long since you properly cooked for us, Hannibal. And uh, Hannibal kind of uh, puts her off. There are quite a few good lines in this exchange. Um, and he he says to her, basically, you know, oh, I, you know, I only cook when I'm inspired. My favorite line is he says, I cannot force a feast. A feast must present itself, um, which takes on such a different connotation when you know what he is feeding his guests. <laughs> like he's like, yeah, if I don't have good victims, no, did no dinner party. Sorry. Um, well, and it also confirms that the Chesapeake Rippers' known victims are for when Hannibal's doing a dinner party because. Where, like, clearly Hannibal's out here killing people all the time, but he... Because he's always got meat, right, for himself, yeah. yeah. But, like, you're like, why would there only be, like, three victims per however often he goes on a spree? And it's like, oh, it's because that's when he does these dinner parties, because guess who starts killing again as soon as uh, he's pressured into having a dinner party by... um, I don't know if we get her name. I don't think... Her character name. I was just trying to think about, I was like, what is her name? Um, By this woman who is invited later on. Um, but uh, it's like, okay, so it's it's time for it's time for more Chesapeake Ripper victims then. As Will said, theatrical. So as after this exchange, Franklin comes up to say hi and it's awkward as hell. And it made me actually cringe. Like I had to close my <sighs> eyes. It's so bad. 
It's bad. I mean, because Hannibal clearly, like, doesn't want to have anything to do with Franklin. He doesn't want to introduce Franklin to his other acquaintances. And he and fully, Franklin, he fully lets it go. Like, he's not going to introduce Franklin as his patient. And then, of course, Franklin has to be like, oh, yeah, he's my doctor. And it's like, Yeah, he's my therapist. Dude, <laughs> he was giving you an out. And you exactly, didn't take it. <laughs> exactly. So uh, Franklin has a, a friend with him, a companion with him. He's this uh, black man named Tobias, um, very tall. Um, nothing really happens with Tobias in this episode, but no, keep him in the back of your mind. Off-putting to me. I'm just like something's up with him, and then he immediately—he's apparently supposed to be Franklin's bestie—and he just like throws his him under the bus because he's just like, "Oh yeah, Mister Hannibal, sir." Um, Franklin couldn't stop staring at you. He didn't even watch the performance. <laughs> if my friend did that to me and my crush, I would I would I would murder them. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. How dare you? Not cool. That's Tobias. like the pick me girl trying to expose the other girl in front of like who they know they are crushing on. Like it's like, oh, I heard she actually had a thing for you. How dare you? <laughs> The rage that I felt on behalf of Franklin, who I don't even like. <laughs> he takes you it like a champ, bad. though. He doesn't. He does. He has no shame because he's no, just he, like, he yep, doesn't. I he was doesn't. watching you. <laughs> he doesn't. So then after the scene, we get the first of Jack's dreams. Jack has two dreams in this episode. And it's kind of a departure because we don't, we usually don't get... Or we haven't up to this point gotten a dream of Jack's, I don't think. We've, We've only gotten ever gotten Will's dreams. Will's dreams, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. And in this first dream, Jack is at the FBI lab. He's in the mortuary and he hears a phone ringing uh, from inside one of the body lockers and he opens it and inside is Miriam Lass's severed arm and in her hand is the phone and it's ringing. Um, that basically confirms that it's a dream because they wouldn't have left the phone in the b- arms. <laughs> Well, I don't know, actually, because they, they make Bev go, Bev go on raids, so they might just have really <laughs> I feel like crap they keep it, like, in, separate, in, in a, a separate evidence locker, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, that's what they would do in reality, but... <laughs> then we do see Jack wake up in his bed, and it's a dream, but yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting how, because we're getting Jack's dreams so far, um there was kind of a marked difference in how they're appearing to us versus how we see Will's dreams. And with Jack, we were kind of being, he's being uh, subconsciously taunted by the kind of horrors he's already experienced by seeing Miriam's arm and just like stuff that's already been confirmed happening. Whereas when Will dreams, we're seeing these kind of imagined horrors that are way worse, arguably than anything he's actually witnessed. So it's interesting how Jack's even kind of average in his dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. There's not like a... It's not as whimsical in a terrifying way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrifyingly whimsical. Yeah, I think, I think that that's really an accurate way to describe uh, Will's dreams. I love that. <laughs> I mean, the stag is fucking terrifyingly whimsical. <laughs> exactly. I think you nailed it. That's it. <laughs> So Jack wakes up in his bed and uh, the phone is ringing, his real phone, and he answers the phone and there's a new crime scene to be investigated. The police have found a body that has injuries that fit with the Chesapeake Ripper's um, other victims. Which is mutilation, organs missing, 
Yeah, the the things that they mention are that the organs are missing, like you said, that the ab the abdomen has been mutilated, abdominal mutilation, and as you said, like wounds made with surgical tools, like scalpels and stuff. So we have the a scene of Jack and Will on on their way to this crime scene, and he's kind of filling him in on the details we just mentioned, and um it's clear that Will is kind of reluctantly there. He doesn't he doesn't want to be a part of this as he's already stated, but Jack is like I I need you to catch the ripper and yeah. And Will- then he says he says to Will like this crime scene is fresh, it's untouched, like it's just for you. Like no one has touched this, no one's looked at it. I need you here while it's fresh is what he says. And Will's just kind of like fresh as a daisy. Fresh as a daisy, he says. <laughs> typical sarcastic will fashion that i love so much (laughs) and then he says something like after this you can go back to your classroom and of course yeah and then will has to come back with oh you don't want me in a classroom you want me to wrap my head so tight around the ripper i won't go back to class until he's caught yeah which is like yeah i mean jack doesn't even deny it (laughs) and i love the I, i love the way will speaks but the 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 way he describes it wrap my head so tight around the ripper is like yes everything he's just so he's horrifyingly whimsical in the way he (laughs) describes everything (laughs) it's like dark poetry it is it's beautiful so the the two of them get to this crime scene and bev and zeller and price are there and price and zeller are doing their usual bickering thing they're also in top form in this episode they were great in the last episode and they're also great in this episode Although I will say Zeller is getting on my last nerve. <laughs> I needed him to take a step back. <laughs> <laughs> so those three are, you know, looking at the evidence. Bev kind of fills in Will on what they found. She says that on the victim, it looks like surgery was performed and then unperformed is how she describes it. Um, so the the body is in the bathtub. Uh, the, um, kind of sitting up. Mm-hmm. Are they in an apartment or a hotel room? It's a hotel room. It's a hotel room. It's yeah. a nice hotel room. I know. I was thinking that too. But <laughs> I was then expecting I realized... it to be like some grungy little motel and it's not. So uh, so Will goes into the bathroom to see this body. He sees the body in the bathtub. And then he kind of begins his mental reenactment. He goes under. Mm-hmm. Everyone leaves him to be alone in the bathroom. And he's does the kind of like tr- traditional i don't that feels like the wrong word to say here the typical like uh rewinding if you want to call it that where he's he's the killer and he's kind of like re- rewinding the tape and seeing um the body before the wounds are there and then before he gets into the bathroom and he's stepping out into the hallway um i think it's interesting that even as will is doing this you still see cops in the hallway behind him so you know it's it's kind of unclear whether Will is imagining this and also actually walking out of the room or if like it's just his he knows the cops are there so they're in his little imagining. Right, because when he snaps out of his sort of process, he's, he's always still in the exactly spot in the same spot where yeah. he started. Yeah. So in there is kind of an ambiguity there and I I agree I love that shot when will is kind of reversing himself out of the hotel room door and the cops are there and he closes the door and when he opens the door again to re-enter the hotel room the cops are gone yeah i yeah. i just i love how ambiguous it is for 
exactly how much of this is happening in, in reality. Yeah. And he kind of walks in and... First of all, Will sees the stag. So again, this sort of like these sort of dreams, hallucinations he's been having are once again intruding on his sort of professional empathetic reenactments. So uh, once he reopens the door to enter the hotel room at the beginning of this reimagining, the stag is walking into the bathroom he sees. And he kind of shakes it off and ignores it, which kind of shows how used to he's getting to having his his imaginings kind of intruded on by this this unknown force <laughs> in his subconscious um but he continues on ignoring the stag and there's a struggle between the victim in the hotel room and you see will kind of wrestle him to the bathroom and then kind of throw him into the bathtub um and instead of you know hacking him up you see the man kind of start to struggle breathing and then will starts narrating that the heart is stopping and so he makes a cut and reaches inside of the body after spreading the ribs to manually uh, massage the the wall of the heart to get it to restart but i'm guessing obviously this doesn't work because it it doesn't seem like something that would be your first resort when someone's heart is stopping to just be like, oh, let me like massage it, actually. Right. I feel like that's like a desperate <laughs> thing to try. <laughs> yeah. So Will kind of comes back. He snaps out of it and and he has this realization. He's like, he yells for Jack. He's like, Jack, Jack, I this is what happened. And it's like he, two seconds. It's not even two whole seconds. And Jack like bursts in. So he's in the like door. clearly like waiting right there. <laughs> like, tell me, tell me, <laughs> give me the news, Will. <laughs> so um, Will determines that, that this body in the bathtub was not one of the Ripper's victims. And what Will says is he says, the killer wasn't killing. He was trying to save this guy's life. And then he says, would the Ripper ever do that? And he doesn't really convince everyone at the crime scene of this theory. Zeller in particular is like, no, this has got to be one of the Ripper's victims. The MO fits. He keeps like yeah. saying like, like 22 of the markers know. fit. Like he's just being very by the book. Like, yes, all of we have all these matches. This has to be the Ripper. And Will just shuts the fucking door in his face. He just like goes over to the side and just kind of nut like just like nudges it closed. And it's so casually done. It's 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 so funny to me how Will is exactly the type of person who would be able to like casually slam the door in someone's face with a lack of dramatic flair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone really... else, it would be so over the top, but it's no, just he's so. In, he's in so many ways, like the antithesis of Hannibal, like Hannibal is such high drama and Will is like no drama. Um, like but I yeah, wouldn't so... even be mad if I was Zeller and Will did that to me. <laughs> I would just be like, Oh, all right. <laughs> but it's so dismissive. Yeah. So Will and Will and Jack are in the bathroom with the body, and Zeller's still out in the hotel room on the other side of the bathroom door. And so Will just shuts the door in Zeller's face. He's like, You're wrong, I'm not listening to you. And clearly Jack believes Will. It, he's just he's not happy about it because he wants it to be a ripper victim, because he wants to be able to catch the ripper. Absolutely. And so he starts asking Will to explain how he sees the Ripper because he he's clearly thinking the only way he's going to catch the Ripper is with Will's help. And so Jack asks Will, how do you see the Ripper? You know, because if this isn't the Ripper, how do you see him? And Will says, 
the Ripper looks normal and nobody can tell what he is. And then it cuts to Hannibal, of course, doing his his normal human job as a psychiatrist. (laughs) (laughs) Just opening the door for Franklin again. (laughs) Yes. So this seems to be the first session the two of them have had after the awkward opera encounter. Um, And so Hannibal brings it up in the the session. uh, And this is when Franklin basically admits to stalking. He's like, oh, I knew you'd be there. Um, And Hannibal was trying to give him an out because he was like, oh, what a coincidence that we were both there. And Franklin's act, like, instead of just being like, oh, yeah, you know, what a coincidence, he was like, actually, it was on purpose. And it's like, dude, why? (laughs) And Franklin basically says he wants to be friends with Hannibal. And Hannibal's like, you know, He says the most pathetic line. He's like, it makes me so sad that I have to pay to see you. I know. It's like, it's a very classic, like, patient falling in love with their therapist kind of thing. This is why Um, I don't have a therapist. (laughs) Can't fall in love with someone who doesn't exist. (laughs) Actually, that's a lie. (laughs) Clearly in love with Hannibal. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so... Hannibal tells Franklin, like, well, that's just not the nature of our relationship. Like, I don't think it would be a good idea for us to be friends. He basically says, like, for this to work, we have to have a professional relationship. Like, I play a certain role in your life. And if I was your friend, I can't do that, is how he says it. But the best part about it is he leaves Franklin hanging in silence after he says that he wants to be his friend. And and he just stares him down. So it's, like, so clear that, like, even without the the reasoning of him being the therapist, he's just like, I don't want to be your friend. Oh, it's clear that Hannibal does not want to be Franklin's friend. <laughs> he's 100%. Such like a bitch about it. <laughs> there is no regret in his voice or his face or anything when he's telling Franklin, like, no, we can't be friends. But if I asked to be someone's friend or expressed a desire to be friends with them, and they just sat there looking at me with basic, like, borderline disdain, not saying anything, I would never recover. I know oh, it's cold. It's never cold. <laughs> it's cold. I would just never be friends with anyone ever. <laughs> I would just be like, all right, that's it for me. No, no friendship. That's it. That's over. Close. Not door. putting myself out there ever again. Nope. Because <laughs> when someone's like, what's the worst that could happen? That that's the that's worst. The that worst. <laughs> <laughs> we found it. <laughs> So then we get another uh, session with Hannibal. But in this case, Hannibal is the patient. He has a therapist of his own. Enter Bedelia de Marier. So we meet Bedelia de Marier, who is played by the incomparable Gillian Anderson. Round of applause. <laughs> yes, please. Pause, pause for applause. <laughs> and she is Hannibal's therapist. And it's clear from this very first session that we see between the two of them that Bedelia knows something about Hannibal. That she at least knows that he is a psychopath or a sociopath of some kind. Even if she's not willing to say that in in so many words, it's clear she realizes part of Hannibal's shtick, not the entire thing we're thinking because she wouldn't still be alive, obviously. Right. I feel like if she knew everything, she'd be dead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But she tells him you are wearing a very well tailored person suit and it's like ooh that that is a clear way of stating that you think someone's a psychopath <laughs> yeah and she also says um before that she says 
to Hannibal, I have conversations with a version of you and hope that the actual you gets what he needs. So she's like, that's terrifying. So there is this sense that that Bedelia knows that she's not dealing with the real Hannibal, that she's like dealing with whatever kind of front he puts on to function in the world. Um, And it's interesting because, well, first you said... You mentioned the the best line of the episode, which is, um, you are wearing a very well-tailored person suit, which is another kind of very well-known line from this show. It's such an apt way of describing Hannibal, too. It is. And yeah. then Hannibal responds with, do you refer to me as person suit with your psychiatrist friends? And he has a little smirk, like he's making a joke. Yeah. And this kind of segues them into talking about friends, talking about whether Hannibal has any friends. or Because she makes a point to specify that she doesn't discuss patients with her friends, and that's all Hannibal is, is a, is a patient and a colleague. They are not friends. She also drops this little nugget of information that Hannibal is her only patient currently, that she retired and Hannibal just did refuses not... to stop showing up. <laughs> yeah, which is like, oh, okay. Hmm. So there's a little bit of an interesting parallel, I think, set up between Franklin and Hannibal in these two back to back scenes. Um, and then again, I think this subject of friendship coming up, like, kind of continues this this th- this thread that that came up in the Franklin session. Well, and um, it also kind of ties in the the will and Hannibal of it all because Hannibal has been clear from the get go that he doesn't view Will as a patient, but as someone who's having conversations with him, and that they are friends, or Hannibal wants him to be his friend. And Will was very dismissive of this in the beginning. Like he's he's like, I'm not gonna find you that interesting. We got But Will that. was also dismissive of being his patient too, yeah, right? Yeah. So like I think part of it comes from Will because Will doesn't want to be psychoanalyzed. And I well, think he and would he's be very wary. resistant to seeing Hannibal if they had a purely professional relationship. And he's he's wary of of becoming friends with someone who has the kind of ability to read him so well you know he doesn't want to be constantly analyzed and i feel like they've they've all but admitted that they can't turn that part of themselves off you know both alana and hannibal and will to a certain extent so it's it's funny how it all kind of threads together because we have hannibal kind of mirroring the situation with will and bedelia but like clearly he has a different type of relationship with the both of them. So it's just a very interesting kind of like insight onto Will's or onto Hannibal's personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This and this can, this kind of uh, train of thought continues into the next scene, which is between Will and Hannibal. Um, it, it happens. It does take place directly after the scene with Bedelia. Um, it's in Hannibal's office and we know it takes place right after because uh, Hannibal and Bedelia share a glass of wine after their session. And when Will comes into Hannibal's office in this next scene, he makes a comment about, oh, you've been drinking. And Hannibal explains he just had some wine with his therapist. Um, and and this is cl- this this idea of like defining their relationship or or understanding whether their relationship allows for potential friendship or whatever Hannibal thinks of as friendship. He straight up asks Will 
am I your psychiatrist or are we simply having conversations? And this comes on the heels of what he tells uh, Jack Crawford in episode five, when he straight up tells Jack like, oh, Will and I just have conversations. That's his wording that he's reusing here. And Will can't really answer. He says, yes, I think is the answer to that. So he's like, both? I don't know. I, I can't. And he, I, he keeps I think, it kind of ambiguous, too. Yeah. And I think the purpose for Will keeping it ambiguous here is the fact that he realizes to a certain point how much he's growing to rely on Hannibal in these conversations, particularly to investigate and do what he's doing for his job, but also to kind of keep his head above water. Um, I love how it's described in one of the first episodes of of Hannibal being being Will's paddle um, to to kind of stay above water, and so it's 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 implied that earlier Will would have been very clearly dismissive of either of those answers. He's like, "I'm not your patient or your friend." Like he would have been like, "No" to all of that. He's been worn away to the point where he can't answer because. It is such a vague relationship, but it's kind of hinting at the potential for for further development, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 I said a lot to say nothing. I'm so no, sorry. I think I, I, think I, I get I think I see what you're saying. I think I see what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, so then Will, because as you said, he can't turn his work brain off any more than Hannibal can, um, Will slips some information about the Ripper investigation to Hannibal. And Hannibal prompts this, of course, because he's Hannibal. And he's like, ooh, I read the article on title crime. And Will's like, okay, cool, let's talk about work. He's um, like, what, do you want to, perchance, say anything about the, the case <laughs> you're working about the Ripper? Yeah. <laughs> and Will straight up says, like, oh, this latest victim wasn't the Ripper's victim. Like, Freddie Lanz is wrong. And... Surprise, surprise. <laughs> And Hannibal uh, gets up to his usual uh, psychic driving tricks, and uh, he plants the seed. He suggests to Will that perhaps the Ripper might have always been more than one person all along. He's like, maybe the Ripper is like a network of organ harvesters. Yeah, and it's kind of a cover. They're using this idea of a prolific serial killer to murder and take all of the, the body parts that they need. Mm-hmm. To harvest the organs and sell them, you know, either domestically or internationally. Um, I think it's it's Price or Zeller at one point suggests, well, these organs they could be selling them in China because there's a um, a taboo on on uh, organ donation there, so they have a need. Um, They're just saying that the, it would be kind of impossible to track where these organs were going because of the possibility of it being anywhere in the world. Mm hmm. Yes. So after this scene between Will and Hannibal, we get to see Hannibal on a little killing spree, which I think is I mean, we've seen him kill before, obviously, in this show. But I think this is the first time we get to see. Uh, well, we've seen him kill for um, certain incidents, like we've seen him get rid of people you know like miriam but i don't and we've seen like like vague glimpses of him hunting people but i don't think we've ever gotten an actual like view of him killing one of his his victims for eating 
Yeah, we haven't really seen him in Chesapeake Ripper mode, right? No. Like we've yeah. seen him do copycat murders. We've seen him. But even know, that, we don't, we haven't quiet. really seen anything yet. Well, we see him kill Miriam. No, we don't, though. We see him choke her and she passes out and or dies. Like, we don't know for sure. But, like, we haven't seen him, like, actually kill anyone. We've just seen him kind of, like, We still don't see him actually kill anyone in this episode. Yeah, yeah, which is, like, wild to me because we've seen so many other, like, very graphic things. But, like, we really (laughs) only ever see the aftermath. Right, right. Because that seems to be the more important part to Hannibal. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. It's the one part the FBI doesn't have, and it's, like, the most important bit. (laughs) Right, right, right. And so we see Hannibal has this Rolodex full of business cards, and he also has this recipe box. And there's, like, a correlation between the two kind of card files. And um, so Hannibal begins this killing spree. He kills this guy named Andrew Caldwell, we get a little flashback um, of Hannibal getting his blood drawn and Caldwell is the phlebotomist or the doctor or whatever, and he's being rude to Hannibal. Basically implying that he thinks that he's diseased or like has some kind of like blood infection. Right. And so Hannibal's like, hmm, can I have your business card for future reference? And so then you see him put, you see that business card in his Rolodex. Because you see like independent something or other, some type of doctor. Right, right. So then we see in not flashback. So I don't know how long he's had this business card. That is kind of unclear how long he holds on to these. But well, um, I mean, he has a lot of them. So I'm he guessing he stockpiles. You know? It kind of seems like he does. So uh, we have this scene where we see Caldwell driving uh, at night and he's pulled off at the side of the road and there's something wrong with his car and he gets out of his car and he's like, "Ugh, what's going on? I broken down. You he see a leak. There's a leak of some kind, yeah. yeah. And then another car pulls up behind Caldwell's car and pulls over to help, quote-unquote, help Caldwell. And sure enough, it's Hannibal. TV shows have made me so nervous to trust any kind of roadside <laughs> assistance. <laughs> it's not AAA, get out of here. Right? Right? Yeah. So I'm Hannibal, just full-on going to refuse anyone's help. And Nope, I'd rather just sit here, thanks. Yeah, so Hannibal, like gets out of his car, stalks down the shoulder. The way he walks up to Caldwell is so attractive. (laughs) We see, we cut away before we see Hannibal actually commit the act of murder. Um, But then the next scene is Caldwell's body on the slab in the mortuary, the FBI lab. Um, he's missing his heart and his kidneys. Yes. And so then we get some cross-cutting action between the lab and the text there explaining what happened to Caldwell and Hannibal cooking in his kitchen. He's slicing up some... um, Some kidneys. Yeah, the kidneys. Mm -hmm. And I, I know it's like... It should be gross, especially because I'm a vegetarian and, like, I don't enjoy the sight of raw meat being cut. But I think it's just the fact that, like, he's so good at it and his knife is so sharp. It's so satisfying to see him slice it in such, like, even cuts. Yeah. I mean, again, one of the tricks of this show is that they make Hannibal's culinary... prowess <laughs> yeah they make his his cooking and his his artistry in the kitchen it's beautiful his food is beautiful his process is beautiful um which 
is just such a purposeful contrast with the horrifying reality of what he's cooking. I mean, um, personally, I, I mangle an onion every time I cut it. So it's very nice to see someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so then Will, Will says here in the lab, he says again, uh, that that the his sense is that the Chesapeake Ripper wants to perform, and you get a, again you get this sort of edge of almost admiration in Will's voice as he says this, and he says every brutal choice has elegance and grace, and his mutilations hide the true nature of his crimes. If Hannibal was there, mm, he had creamed himself. He would have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the next scene is Alana and Hannibal in Hannibal's kitchen. And Hannibal's like preparing for this big dinner party he's going to have soon. And and Alana's there ostensibly helping. She cuts up like one carrot. They're they're basically just chatting. I love how he puts her off to the side too. Like she's not even allowed to be at the area he's cutting at. He's like, no, you go to the kitty chop table. So as someone who is like very possessive of their own kitchen. (laughs) I felt that like when people want to help and I don't really want them to, or I don't trust them, I'll give them like one minor task to do, like cut one carrot. (laughs) You should, you should get, I don't want to be a bitch and be like, I don't want your help, but I don't want to give them anything like, actually no this is a lesson then because like just get a separate little table and you can just like make them chop their stupid little carrot over there (laughs) away from you i know i just yeah i (laughs) yeah so i i felt that though i'll do the dishes but you can cook the whole thing i will not protest perfect perfect So anyway, so Alana and, and and Hannibal are kind of chatting and and Hannibal offers her a drink and she's like, well, you know, you prefer wine, but I prefer beer. And Hannibal has this beer in his uh, fridge that he's brewed like for her specifically and it's been aged in a wine barrel and he calls it her own private reserve. And I'm like, Hannibal, stop. <laughs> it's too sexy. But also like, why waste it on Alana? <laughs> I don't know. She seems like she has good taste. She can like taste all the notes in the beer. She's a beer. No, I meant like why waste the effort? Like, cause like oh, it's it's clearly a way to impress her. Like, stop, don't impress her. She like, <laughs> she doesn't deserve it. I don't know. I feel like of 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 the scenes we've gotten of Alana so far, this was one of the first scenes where she didn't bother me. No, I think that it still bothered me because of what she says next. Because he, of course, has to bring up Will because love of his life, you know. Um, And so he's trying to – he's basically, like, questioning Alana while she has the beer and she seems, like, on um, off her guard, you know. And he's just like, so why don't you talk about him? Why don't you bring him up ever? And um, she says that she just wants people to leave Will alone. But the thing is – is that it it bothers me because she seems to be so much in Will's corner, yet the actual interactions between her and Will are so full of condescension. And, like, she borderline is, like, she's basically saying, like, in order to get people to leave him alone, including herself, she's basically fine just ignoring his existence when he's, like, clearly trying to seek her friendship, you know? And that's just so fucking rude. Like, she acts all high and mighty like she's the only one trying to, like, look out for Will, yet she's perfectly fine, like, ignoring him. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just because of how, as someone with a lot of, like, 
issues. <laughs> it bothers me that she is so dismissive of like him as an actual person and she just kind of views him as like this little puppy to be protected. You know, and it's like he's his own man with his own like desires and wishes and like don't don't treat him like an invalid, you know. He doesn't need your protection like <laughs> yeah. I'm just Will's number one fan, all right? And <laughs> she bothers me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So then they kind of, uh, their, their conversation goes on and, and, um, Hannibal asks Alana if she's working on the Ripper case. And Alana's like, no, I haven't worked on that case since the last time when when Miriam went missing and and uh it seems like at that point in time she was uh working with Hannibal Hannibal was actively her mentor at that point and she mentioned something about like yeah back then you had me interviewing PhD candidates and stuff and uh and Hannibal kind of uh brings up this this rumor that was going around. He's like, yeah, all the students thought we were having an affair, you know? And he's like, why didn't we? And and Alana calls him on his bullshit. She's like, she says to him, she says to Hannibal, Will does that too, you know, flirtatiously change the subject. You have that pathology in common. And I I mean, I love that. I love that line. I love how sassy, how sassy she delivered it, you know? And it's like, good, you know, someone needs to call him out. But I'm also like, but did he change the subject? Like, they were talking about the same thing. Like, I don't, I think he was just being flirty. So, like, I don't know. Well, he's like, yeah, you're not working on the Ripper case, so we don't need to talk about that anymore because you're not useful. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, you've, uh, you, you, clearly, we, we, I can't get you to help me here. So, let me flirt with you. <laughs> yeah, but he is being flirtatious with her yeah. in this scene. Undeniably. Yes. Undeniably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he he tells her that he basically brewed her her own private beer reserve because he knew she didn't like wine. So, which, like I said, hot. That's a flirting. That's, if a man that's did a that for me, that's that's a flirting. That's a flirting. That's flirtatious. Hell, his fridge and it's so, not just for you. That's that's a flirting. A flirting. <laughs> uh, jail, jail for me. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> yes, he is being uh, obviously and purposefully flirtatious with her, and because it's Hannibal, I just assume it's manipulation of some yeah. kind. Like he's clearly, I just don't assume that anything he does is genuine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, because like Bedelia said, he's he's wearing a little person suit, so like obviously this is not his genuine emotion, you know. But. The fact that he did it in that specific way by saying, like, they thought we were having an affair. Why didn't we? That is such a clear planting of the idea of, like, potential romance between them. You know, it's not just being like, oh, I think you're hot. Like, let's hook up. It was just like, why didn't we ever go down that line? Like, just, like, making her think about think it. about the possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So then we get uh, the second of Jack's dreams. And I assume this one is was fully a dream because it's framed the same way as the first dream. Like, we don't get the scene of him waking up from this one, but it's it's framed exactly the same way as the first dream. And what happens in it clearly didn't happen. Um, and I don't... Well, it starts off kind of feeling... It's kind of a bait and switch because they want you to think that it's real because he goes to the exact same um, morgue door 
Is that the problem? I don't know what the term yeah, is. Yeah, he, he goes, goes to, to like the, the, the locker, yeah. The the locker in the morgue and that he had in his first stream saw the arm with the phone in and he pulls it out and it's empty. So you're thinking, oh, he's actually there and just seeing if the arm is just even checking, in that. Right. Yeah, you know, just checking. But then he turns and we see um, a a corpse of Will kind of like stitched up and clearly like had been through some kind of like, autopsy po- yeah post autopsy yeah post autopsy and he's his arm is missing so it's clearly like tying him in Jack's mind to Miriam and like the pos- like the worry of losing him like uh he lost Miriam mm-hmm. yeah and like i said if this were will having something like this there would be the question in my mind of like, did the first part happen? And then he like hallucinated the second part. But with Jack, I'm pretty sure it was just fully a dream. Just fully a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yes, it's interesting. I think this is the first time that we really get uh, a scene of Jack really like worried that maybe he's not doing the right thing with Will. I mean, the first sign of concern. Yes. I mean, other people have voiced this concern and Jack has been pretty like, blase about it or has not listened to their concerns but he's also not denied it you know he has not denied it right and so i don't think that this dream is like a total 180 from his attitude that we've seen before but it's just really the first concrete thing that we see where it's like okay jack is taking this in he's worried this is starting to get to him thinking about miriam um the ripper is in his head yeah and that hannibal has been right the entire time about jack's subconscious worry about will and losing another um horse in his stable right yeah pony Uh, uh, right yeah i think it yeah that is the word he uses yeah um so then we get another uh then we get uh a full-on murder montage um we have through the rolodex (laughs) yes we have hannibal flipping through the rolodex for business cards flipping through his recipe box for recipes and we get uh, again, glorious cross-cutting between the FBI and the lab discussing the Ripper and his latest victims and um, scenes of Hannibal cooking. And so it goes back and forth, back and forth. It's one of the best tricks in this show's book. Like, I love the cross-cutting between it the lab and the cooking. Works. It always works. And this montage uh, ends with the best cut with the best cross cut um when zeller mentions that one of the bodies is only missing bowels so it's just the bowels that are missing and so zeller says so we're either looking for someone with short bowels or the rippers making sausage and then it cuts to hannibal literally making sausage (laughs) and it's just so funny because obviously like the the joke is that Zeller's saying this like it's com- like like it's ludicrous. Yeah, like there would never be any possibility that he's actually making sausages, which is like so funny because it's like you guys have dealt with cannibals before. Like why wouldn't you make that a possibility in your head? You know, but and he's just like, no, that couldn't happen. <laughs> just the audacity of that statement, and then the immediate cut of Hannibal like filling the intestines with sausage meat. <laughs> So good. So at the end of this montage, Will concludes that there are two killers at work here in this recent spate of murders. And he's he tells Jack, one of them is the Ripper. He's confident of that. Uh, but there are two, two murderers at large here. 
So we get another scene of Franklin and Hannibal having a therapy session. Um, Franklin admits to more light stalking. Again, he had followed Hannibal to another place. And uh, just proceeding to get more and more desperate and creepy. Yes, yes. And Hannibal Hannibal asks um, Franklin about his companion at the opera, Tobias. and, And Hannibal says, do you have sexual feelings for tobias yeah like Um, what's the nature of yeah right or is he just your best friend and franklin reacts badly to that he's like um (laughs) like i you know i'm not trying to be weird about it but like no i why why would i do that i've experimented but no um and the thing that he says that is so wild to me is he says um it meaning being gay i guess it's just not my brand. And I'm like, Franklin, that's not how you talk about sexuality. <laughs> no. But it's um, also funny because it's like, when I when I was hearing this in my head, I was like, this could either be homophobic or racist, if you think about it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I was like, what's the it? Yeah. Non-white men or men? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, this this scene just serves to reinforce Franklin's patheticness because he's still trying to be Hannibal's friend and Hannibal's like, no. But it's also kind of clear to both Hannibal and us now that, like, it's not just friendship he's being creepy about. Like, he's in love with Hannibal. Yes, yes, (laughs) Hence the bringing up about the sexuality. Yes, yes. So after this appointment um, with Franklin, um... We see, sometime later, we see Hannibal open the door and he checks his waiting room and it's empty. And Hannibal seems like he's expecting someone, um, but there's nobody there. So he sits down at his desk and he opens his date book and we see uh, W. Graham should be here at 730. Uh, and, And Hannibal seems a little disturbed that Will didn't show up. I mean, as disturbed as Hannibal ever seems, you know, he's cool as a cucumber, but he can just... You can tell it's it's he's not expecting this and it throws him a little bit. Yeah. We just see him get up and and put his coat on. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, oh, my God, go get your man. (laughs) (laughs) So the next scene is one of Will's like dreams or hallucinations. And he's with Abigail and Abigail calls him dad in this in this dream. And they're like looking at each other and 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 Abigail in chairs across from each other and between them is the victim uh marissa no not marissa Mar- the one before no. that the i don't even think we got her name um the the first copycat victim of the strike who is the one that will called uh field kabuki mm-hmm. yes the one impaled laid out on the like the table the one that antlers. we know was Hannibal's kill slash Chesapeake Ripper's kill, but that has not been attributed to the Chesapeake Ripper yet. Right. Yeah. And so it's a pretty short scene, but then we hear Hannibal's voice. We hear him saying, Will. And Will kind of snaps out of this, and um, and Will kind of comes back to reality, and, and he, he asks Hannibal, he says to Hannibal, oh, I, I must have fallen asleep. I'm, I'm sorry, I missed my appointment. And Hannibal says, your eyes were open, but you were not present. And Will's like, well, it felt as if I was asleep. So that's a little scary. Um, but yeah, it's so cute. Hannibal tracked down Will after he no-showed. He like wanted to make sure Will was okay. He's like, where are you? <laughs> I and missed it was, you. <laughs> it was clear that like, even though in the beginning when he opened the door at his office that he was a little like, 
offended that the person wasn't there when it was will and he goes to track him down he realized you realize that it was like actual concern you're like he was he was curious about where will was and not as much like pissed off that he didn't show up (laughs) because i'm sure he's killed for less than like not showing up to an appointment oh yeah his 24 hour (laughs) cancellation policy (laughs) if you don't abide by those rules the penalty is dead Um, it's not a fee, except actually it is. You pay with your life. Yeah. <laughs> so so they they have this little discussion, Hannibal and Will. Um, Will is in the office. He's in he's at the FBI headquarters and he's at this table. He's got all of the photos of the Ripper's victims spread out on the table. Right. In a so, big pile. Right. So Hannibal naturally starts looking at them because he's like, hmm, how close are they to figuring out it's me? So he picks <laughs> he picks up the the some of the photos and starts chatting with Will about the Ripper. And um He picks up the one specifically of the severed arm of Miriam and um basically is is asking why the Ripper would have done this. Would it be to humiliate Miriam? And then Will kind of says, no, I think it was more about humiliating Jack. And Hannibal's, so he's like trying to, he's so coy and he's just like, oh, I wonder if it worked. And and Will's like, yeah, I'd say it worked really well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and he emphasizes really. He's like, I would say, I'd say it worked really well. <laughs> And, of course, Hannibal looks pleased in his Hannibal way. Yes, Um, yes, yes. Sure, sure. And in this discussion, too, uh, Will has a few more little insights into his sort of ongoing, the profile he's building of the Ripper. And... um, and Hannibal's fishing a little bit, right? So fishing for compliments. <laughs> so Hannibal's like, you know, oh, does he kill these people, you know, as as punishment for their um what does he say? What does Hannibal say? It's like um he says to Will, you know, displaying the body of your enemy is a kind of a cult is, you know, has its its place in some cultures. And then Will says, these victims aren't the Ripper's enemies. They're just pests he swatted, is what he says. And and then Hannibal says, uh, you know, so displaying their bodies is its humiliation, is their reward for their cruelty. And that's when Will says no, um, not cruelty. He, he, meaning the Ripper, doesn't have a problem with cruelty. Their reward is for undignified behavior. These dissections are to disgrace them. It's a public shaming. And that is it on the head because you can see. Again, it's so subtle. Mads Mikkelsen's facial expressions are so subtle as Hannibal. But you can see he's like, that's it. Will yep. gets it. He feels seen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He feels and understood. <laughs> and again, it's like very, very tiny, which is the miracle of this performance. Um, but yeah, that's when he's like, yes, that's it. Hit it on the head. And Will is so kind of caught up with coming to this this conclusion, saying this out loud and like looking at the photos, he completely misses how Hannibal receives the information, you know, because I feel like at the point of the relationship between them now, like he would kind of see that that did something to Hannibal, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So it's just been kind of good luck at this point <laughs> right. that Will's been not looking at him. <laughs> and so it's from there, once they're talking about the humiliation, that Hannibal picks up the the photo of Miriam's arm and is like, well, who was he 
trying to humiliate here. You didn't need to humiliate Miriam. Um, but yeah, and, and you can see, I mean, this theory of Wills is borne out by what we see earlier in the episode, you know, that Hannibal kills this guy, he kills Caldwell just for being rude to him and, and insinuating that he might have an infection, you know? Eat the um, rude, bitch. Eat the rude, exactly. <laughs> um, so after this scene, we get uh, sort of the wrap up of the murderer of the week. So bef- right before we had Hannibal finally track Will down, we get a little scene of um, Bev and Jack in Jack's office. And Bev is showing him something about, she's showing him a, like a surveillance video of a ambulance driving away from the scene of a crime instead of towards it. And Jack's kind of dismissive of it. Like, well, it's like, clearly he's just like leaving already having, and she proves it to him that like, there's something sus about this. And so they go to check out where that ambulance was from, like what, um, yeah. And I like, there's like a little critique here of privatization because this ambulance is like from like a private contractor where like all they do is like rent out ambulances to government agencies. And so it's like, this is how this ambulance is not properly um, accounted for. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, privatization is bad. (laughs) On their way to to investigate the, um, where this ambulance is, they stop and grab Will. And of course, Hannibal's there with him. So then they both go. Yeah, and so Jack asks Hannibal, would you like to help us catch the Chesapeake Ripper? And Hannibal's like, yes, of course, I'd love to. <laughs> um, and so, of course, they go to where these ambulances are stored, and they're talking to this man who is running the kind of private operation. And he's like, yeah, this this ambulance in question you're asking about was um, actually not active it's like been put away for repairs i'll yeah like show it it to you like the log says it wasn't checked out it should be here yeah yeah and so they go and of course it's not there and he lets them know that there is a tracking device and it's not like a fancy one so bev knows how to find it and she's like if the radio is on we can find we can track this ambulance and they ask about who logged it for repairs and it's one of their like part-time volunteer people Yeah, like a um, part-time employee named Devin Silvestri. Yep. And then Will, of course, is like, oh, is is he trying to be a doctor? And he's like, yeah, he's taking his MCATs or whatever. And then Hannibal says, like, this is proving to be most... um, He says, yeah, he says, this is very educational. Yes, very (laughs) educational. (laughs) (laughs) He's just, he won't stop. He's so cheeky. He won't stop. So cheeky in this one. Um, And no one thinks that's like a weird thing to say they're just like yep (laughs) yeah it's just a little field trip yeah learn all you want (laughs) obviously they track down the ambulance from the tracker or whatever and they show up to the ambulance being parked off to the side in this lot and they open up the doors and jack has his shotgun of course so so dramatic why is it a he shotgun? loves his he loves why his shotgun is it a shotgun like if a police officer ran up to me with a goddamn shotgun <laughs> i'd be like get your hillbilly ass out of here <laughs> i don't oh want to see that um but he we see this man um who is uh, apparently the um part-time fire not firefighter the the, the part-time ambulance. ambulance driver yeah yes and he's got his hands inside of um 
a man who's who's clearly one of his patients slash victims. Yeah, that he's harvesting organs from. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack says, like, put your hands up and get out of the vehicle. And he's like, I can't. He'll die, meaning the 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 victim. And so Jack's like not having it. So he yells and gets Hannibal to come over and kind of like take his place. And Hannibal's like, I guess I can stop the bleeding. And um it's when it's right after um Jack's like, okay, you, you, you've gotten it, you've taken over, and Hannibal's like, yeah, and he makes um, Devin, the the murderer, like, leave the vehicle and, like, put his hands up. We just have this beautiful shot of Will kind of standing at the bottom of the ambulance with the doors wide open, just, like, taking in what he's seeing, which is a um, different version of Hannibal than he's seen before because Hannibal's got like blood on his wrists and they're like inside this man trying to like stop the bleeding when he's getting his kidney taken out. And um, it's also funny because Hannibal had to be snarky. And before he takes over, he's like, it seems like he's been trying to take this kidney out poorly. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to get his insults in. And poor Devin's just like, Oh man, (laughs) just looks down. (laughs) Um, one man operation. I'm doing my best. I don't trend. have. I don't have my medical license. I don't have my degree. <laughs> so funny. Um, but so Hannibal's got his hands in in this person's body, trying to fix it, and he looks up and sees Will watching him. And this is when Will starts to ask about like um, Hannibal's past career as a doctor and being like an ER, being surgeon. a surgeon. Yeah, because yeah. I think they're you know. Will obviously knew that Hannibal used to be a surgeon, but I think like seeing him it's in that position, it's different being confronted with it, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Something seems like it shifts in Will's mind, and it's certainly not a moment of like pure suspicion of like, oh, it's all coming into place at no. all, at all. It's at just all. something is, but something is shifts. Yeah. He he feels like this is somehow more. This is somehow important. Like it's just it, he's noting it in his head. And Will kind of, or Hannibal kind of looks a little unnerved by how Will is looking yeah, at because they make eye contact. Yeah. yeah it's and a, it's kind of an intense moment. Yeah. And um, Hannibal says basically, like, he stopped being a surgeon because he lost a patient. And Will's like, well, that had to happen a lot as an ER surgeon. Like, I'm sure you lost a lot of patients. And he was like, this was, the last one was one too many. And he moved on to focusing his passion on culinary arts and on fixing the mind, which is like, boy, howdy, you don't fix no one's mind. <laughs> you break them, babe. I know. <laughs> so this conversation when when Will asks Hannibal about his past and, you know, why he switched to psychiatry from um, surgery happens in Hannibal's kitchen. Hannibal is preparing this this feast, the feast that he had mentioned previously. And he's got like four professional sous chefs in the kitchen with him. I'm like, you are so fancy. So Will stopped by to drop off this bottle of wine to say thank you. And he's not going to stay for the dinner party because he, you know, doesn't feel like he fits in. And he says, I don't think I'd be good company. And Hannibal goes, oh, I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, just kidding. Kiss. (laughs) Kiss. <laughs> so Will is stopped by, you know, to drop off this wine and, and ask some questions about the Hannibal's past. And uh, so Will kind of begs off. He's like, I've got work to do. And he says, I have a date with the Chesapeake Ripper. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
And Hannibal clearly <laughs> loves hearing this. He loves he's, it. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> so Will does tell Hannibal in this scene that there's no connection between Devin Silvestri, the guy that they caught in the ambulance, and the Ripper. So Hannibal knows. He's like, oh, I, I didn't pin it on Devin. They're still after the Ripper. Because that was his attempt. He he was clearly trying to pin it on Devin, but he should have known he couldn't have fooled, uh, fooled Will like that. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, yeah, if uh, Gideon couldn't fool him either in the episode before. So, uh, the final scene of this episode is uh, the all of Hannibal's culinary efforts come to fruition. We have this dinner party and we get this amazing overhead shot of his feast. While the plates um, along the middle of the table with the elaborately decorated um spread (laughs) yes and the the camera kind of pans down the length of the table and then it pans up to hannibal hannibal's face and then you see all the guests who have assembled and then they're all clapping (laughs) yeah they're clapping there's applause yeah because it's a show because he's theatrical and then we cut back to hannibal and he makes this little speech and he says you know thanks for being here yada 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 and then he says before we begin you must all be warned nothing here is vegetarian (laughs) and that's how the episode ends so it was a good murder episode yeah really good (laughs) also really good um a little bit of a little bit more focus on hannibal's personal life Mm -hmm. which i like yeah which we do get more of as the series goes along um i think he is certainly one of the most inscrutable characters uh just by virtue of his psychopathy (laughs) Um, but i think that the show does make an attempt to kind of get you into hannibal's interiority a little bit Um, and then this episode is is one of the earliest attempts of that i think and i think for our our nightcap it's it's time for that before we wrap up but i i don't think we really have much to say in this nightcap i just think that we want to i think the only thing we have to to note is um for right after the scene with when we're where we meet Bedelia and she gives Hannibal the glass of wine, I love how because of it, it's it's a way to show that it's like immediately following the events of this session with Bedelia. But it's also just hilarious how he he like takes the glass of wine and then he's like, I'm gonna keep this party going at his office. And yeah, he cracks open another bottle. Yeah, he's like, I've had and then one he's drink. Like, well, okay, I'm going. I'm, I'm keeping it like, going. And yeah. well, you you want a glass? Here yeah. you go. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. We get the delightful shot of scruffy Will Graham with a glass of pink wine. Yeah, it's so incongruous. (laughs) Everyone can enjoy rosé, okay? Yeah. It's not just for the ladies. Um, The other thing to keep in mind, too, I think, going forward is is this sort of open question of how much does Bedelia know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Friends for Dinner. We hope you enjoyed it, and we can't wait to get you next time with episode eight, which is fromage. So we will see you next time for our discussion of that. If you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on Instagram and or Twitter at fangclubpod. Um, That's our account for our Fang Club podcast and for Friends for Dinner. If you're on Twitter, you can also just follow and use the hashtag Friends for Dinner pod. Um, We use that as well for this podcast. So feel free to let us know your thoughts about how this rewatch is going for you or your first watch if you're watching it for the first time. I really hope that we've gotten some people to watch the show for the first time. Like that is my goal. Yes. All right. Well, we'll get you next time. Bye.